you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by Caesars Rewards. Hey, if you haven't had a chance yet, go ahead, sign up for free at NFL.com slash fantasy. It is free. It is fun. It is the official fantasy football game of the National Football League. Do it soon. We are literally one week away from the start of the National Football League season. This time in seven days, we will be prepping for Chiefs and Texans, it should be great. So if you haven't had a chance, get your league set up and going now. There's still plenty of time to draft. Because uh, of other big piece of housekeeping news, starting next week, this show moves to three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We will be here with you. You can download it, as you always do, as a podcast. But more importantly, it'll be a digital streaming show. You can find it online at NFL.com. You can find it streaming in the app as well. Not to mention that if you somehow miss it, it'll be archived on YouTube. Just go to our YouTube channel at uh, slash NFL Fantasy Football. Got plenty to talk about today. We will dive through some wide receiver talk. We'll get through some late round RBs. We'll also kind of tell you how to handle the end of your draft because that can be just as important as the start of your draft as well. Before we get into all of that, though, let's talk to our faithful producer, senior Edward L. Murphy Esquire. Murph, I hear you are on your way to Chicago this weekend. Have you lined up a list of places to eat at in the Windy City? Yeah, uh, I mean, we're lucky that our producer here, Hytham, is uh, from there. He's from the, the city of Chicago, so he's been giving me a lot of good uh, tips, uh, except for one. He said there's a type of, uh, like, beer or booze from Chicago that uh, tastes like pine salt. So uh, I will avoid <laughs> that, but I will eat the Italian beef. I will have uh, some deep dish pizza, probably a lot of it. I know Portillo's, Pequod's, um, check out Wrigleyville. So he's he's giving me quite a bit of uh, stuff to, to go do there. I'm excited. Yeah. That's fantastic. I will tell you that old style tastes better at Wrigley than it does just anywhere else. Unfortunately, uh, I know you won't be able to get it at Wrigley this time around, but uh, just, yeah. just a word of advice. It's way better at Wrigley than it is just out in the wild. So just something to remember. Uh, I'm going to have it and, and I hope it holds up to the hype because I'm going to come back to Hyatt and give them the, my review of like literally everything I do there. So we'll see it, but I, I am excited for it. No Cubs game, but it's still a great summer city. So it's, uh, it's going to be fun. No doubt about it. Enjoy, and uh, you know we'll catch up with you when you get back next week. Uh, in the meantime, let's get into what we're going to do today. And to help me out, it is the guy who will be my co-host once a week. You will see him normally on the Friday show, but he's here with us on our final Thursday show of the preseason. It is Michael F. Florio. Florio, it's always great to have you back on the show. And uh, you got to be excited. We are a week away. This is this is the end of the long, dry off season. So this is sort of nice. Yeah, this offseason has felt longer than any because we haven't had preseason <laughs> games or anything like that. And Marcus, I'm sure you're in a similar position as me. Like, I'm super pumped for next week. But because of the unknown of this season, everyone decided, like, to host their drafts a couple days before the season starts. So, like, I still have a lot of drafts in the next week coming up. 
Yeah, I got a handful of them coming up this weekend, so I'm trying to sort of juggle family time and draft time. I'm sure there'll be some point when I'm like playing with the kid with the phone in one hand and trying to, you know, do both. <laughs> so it, I will use that as my excuse if my teams end up being kind of crappy this year. Be like, hey, you know, I was trying to be a good dad all at the same time. <laughs> so um, <laughs> let's start with some news. The big piece of news happened on Wednesday night. Leonard Fournette signs a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It, it wasn't surprising that he got picked up fairly quickly after he was released by the Jacksonville Jaguars. So now he goes to Tampa where all offseason long, we've sort of been debating who's going to be the guy in that backfield. But the first question is, what do you expect from Leonard Fournette in Tampa, Mike? I... Right now, he is the running back that I would most be targeting out of this backfield if you want a piece of this Tampa Bay backfield because I, I am of the mindset that his upside is simply the highest. Like, what he did last year is still very impressive, you know, rushing for well over 1,000 yards, the 100 targets, 76 catches. I think he was kind of brought in for a reason here, but I will say I, I'm not expecting him, like, next week in week one to have the starters workload just being on the team for one week. So there is also an opportunity there, I think, for Ronald Jones if he could do anything early on. But my expectation is he'll be eased in early on, and then as the season goes on, we'll see him get more and more workload until he takes over that backfield. Well, you mentioned Ronald Jones, and on Thursday morning in his press conference, Bruce Arians told reporters that Rojo is still my guy. We still want to use him. We brought in Leonard Fournette for a reason, because you can't have too many good running backs there's also, I've heard some rumblings that LaShawn McCoy may get some work as the third down back in this offense. We've heard nothing about Keyshawn Vaughn or Dare Ogunbowale in the last few weeks. So with all these guys there, knowing that you are not a Ronald Jones truther, what are your expectations for him this year? I think, like for me, I put it on Twitter last night. I think I would feel comfortable with Fournette in the sixth round where like Jones was going. And then Ronald Jones, I still think is worthy of taking like the eighth or ninth round when you start to get to those high end quality backups because he may not be a backup. But in my opinion, Bruce Arians has said all of the right things when it comes to Ronald Jones, but all of his actions point in the other direction. Like, First, he inherited Ronald Jones. He wasn't part of the regime that drafted him. Then he takes over last year, this Bucks team. And what does he have Ronald Jones do? Split time with Peyton Barber and Dari Ogunbowale, to me, who are just guys. And then, Marcus, you remember this well. I remember it so well because you guys broke it down on Fantasy Live last year. But he was pulled in the first quarter of a game very early on for missing a pass block. That was a week after he had eight receptions. So it looks it was one step in the right direction, two steps back. And then since then, the Bucs are clearly going all in on this season, this two-year window with Tom Brady, I think. And they still drafted a running back in round three. They still signed LaShawn McCoy. They still signed Leonard Fournette. So to me, all of those actions paint a picture of a head coach who is not comfortable with Ronald Jones being his lead back. I really tried to buy in on this idea of Ronald Jones getting himself in shape, kind of rebuilding his body. He added extra muscle. He's done that two years in a row now. And so I was really starting to buy in on this idea that the Bucks were still going to try to lean on him, give him a bigger role, even with Keyshawn Vaughn there. I, I had bought in on that. But now, all of a sudden, everything is in question. My, my concern has become that 
Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones sort of cannibalize each other, especially if McCoy ends up in the mix, and that essentially you're going to have a whole bunch of backs that are functionally unusable in fantasy because you just don't know how they're going to be used, how much they're going to be used, and what sort of production you're going to get. So that leads me to another question, and this is one that ended up in your Twitter mentions. Someone asking if you drafted both Fournette and Ronald Jones, which is certainly a reasonable thing to have happened in this draft season, what do you do now? I think you have to just sit tight for right now because there's a lot of question marks with this backfield. I would not feel comfortable starting either one of those two in week one, and hopefully you don't have to. There's no bye weeks. There's not a – we know who is, like, going to be active and who isn't week one. It should be the easiest week of the year to set your lineup. But at the same point in time, I wouldn't drop either one either because what if Ronald Jones, like Bruce Arians, isn't lying? And what if he does get the first crack and he starts to run away with the job? Maybe he can – hold off a Leonard Fournette or Leonard Fournette starts to take over. So right now, I don't think we have enough answers on this backfield. I would sit tight and keep them both on my bench, ideally not in my lineup, but I wouldn't be dropping them either. I'm worried about what to do if I have both of those guys. What do you think the trade value would be for either one of them? Do they, do you have any real leverage if you wanted to trade one of those guys? I don't think you have any leverage with Ronald Jones because there's a, there's a lot less believers in him, I feel like. And there's a lot less, like, statistical reasons you could point to, like, last year and be like, look what Ronald Jones did. But I think with Leonard Fournette, still a former first-round pick, still a, a name that's been going early in fantasy drafts while he was with the Jaguars, I just feel on name base alone, you may be able to sell Leonard Fournette, especially there's people out there, I think, who think he's going to just come in and be the guy. So... If you could find someone like that in your league who is still willing to pay a, a pretty premium price for Leonard Fournette, like one of those other fifth-round running backs, I would make that swap immediately. I don't think you're going to be able to get that for Ronald Jones, though. What I think is funny is that between Fournette and Ronald Jones, these were two of the more polarizing backs in fantasy football this offseason, and so now we put them <laughs> on the same roster. And I just feel like... However you feel about them, you are going to see in this situation what you want to see. If you believed in Fournette and not Jones, you are going to believe that, that Fournette's going to be the guy. If you were a Ronald Jones guy and maybe didn't love Fournette, you still think Ronald Jones has a path. If you were on the fence about both of them, you've probably just washed your hands from the situation and completely walked <laughs> away. I mean, this is maybe the biggest Rorschach test I think we have seen in fantasy football in a long, long time. I was one of those people, Marcus, who I, I was kind of on the fence about both of them. So for me, I'm, I'm like kind of washing my hands and like, all right, this worked out. Like I, I wish <laughs> anytime, you know, there was two players, you're like, oh, I don't know. Like they just went on the same team, cannibalized each other, like you said. And then like we got more players that we can draft elsewhere. All right, more running back news. Joe Mixon has signed an extension with the Cincinnati Bengals. Four years, $48 million dollars. There had been some concern that Mixon might hold out and, and wondering what that might do to his ADP. Now that he has that stability, what level of confidence do you have in him going forward in Cincinnati? I think Joe Mixon deserves to be in the conversation with the back of the first round running backs. Like for me, I have him behind the tier of Dalvin Cook, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Derrick Henry, who I believe are like the middle of round one running backs. But I think that Joe Mixon slides in nicely with me for with Austin Eckler, Kenyon Drake, Miles Sanders. I have him just ahead of like Nick Chubb and 
Josh Jacobs, but I think he belongs in that, like the top 13 running backs off the board. I know a lot of people will point and say, oh, well, Joe Mixon has never finished that high before. What makes us think in, in you know year four of his career he's going to do so? I think a big thing has been they haven't really thrown him the ball his three years uh, in Cincinnati, but it's something that we know he can do. We saw him do it in college, so I'm hopeful that Joe Burrow will throw him the ball more. Maybe it was a quarterback thing with an Andy Dalton, but because we haven't seen that high catch total from him yet, I, I don't feel comfortable taking him over backs that I think will be a little bit more involved in their passing game, but I still think he's right on that RB1 radar at the end of the round one. I know there's a danger in sort of you know, parsing out the season and splitting it in half, but that said, I feel like what we saw from Mixon in the second half of last season was probably more indicative, one, of, of his ability level, but also, I think, with how the Bengals want to use him. So I really feel like he's a guy that you know, has top five upside if everything works well, but I do like the, the asking price at the end of the first round. I would be willing to take that shot, especially in a 12-team league. If I'm sitting there somewhere near the turn, I would not mind taking that swing at Joe Mixon because I do think the ceiling is potentially high if things work out the way I think they can in this new offense there in Cincinnati. Uh, over to Washington. Ron Rivera says Dwayne Haskins is going to be the guy at quarterback. He's going to be the starter. I feel like that was sort of a given. I mean, I know Alex Smith has been a great story, but it just seems far-fetched to think that after this long layoff, after such a horrific injury, that he'd step back in and immediately be the starting quarterback there in Washington. But now that Haskins has this vote of confidence, how does this affect the way you see this Washington offense as a whole? I do agree with you. I think this move was a given. It just made sense for a, a rebuilding Washington team. I think Haskins, like, I, I agree. He should be one of the last starting quarterbacks off the board because he didn't really show us anything last year. But I think his upside is a lot higher than that. He did play well uh, at his time at Ohio State. And last year, I don't think was just on him. Like, interim coach uh, Brian Calloway took over and implemented one of the run-heaviest offensive systems in the game. They were in top 10 in run percentage. Last year, he was only asked to throw the ball 30 times once, and he only had one game of 250 yards, did not have any game with more than two passing touchdowns, but he did show us flashes at times, and what I really like about him is he peppered his number one target just with a ton of volume. Terry McLaurin last year had 40 five targets in the, the small sample size that Dwayne Haskins was the starter. No other receiver had more than 32. That was Steven Sims at 32. So there's a wide gap right there. I, I like Dwayne Haskins starting more for Terry McLaurin. And I think Haskins, if you're in a best ball or a super flex league, is a fine QB3 because he comes with some upside. But if you're in a one quarterback league, this guy is not on your radar. I would agree with that. And it's it's interesting. You mentioned the run heavy offense at the end of the year last year. There were times it just felt like Washington was trying to run out the season. I mean, like literally not just run out the clock and run out the game. They were just going to run out the season and just let's just be done with this and let's start over for, for 2020. I, I do think Haskins is going to get a longer leash this year. I think this is a team that is, as you mentioned, they're rebuilding. They're, they're starting kind of from scratch. They're starting young again. And I know they've said Adrian Peterson's going to get the early down work. That's fine. I think he runs for, you know, a couple yards here and there. And then they're going to have to throw the football because they're going to be trailing a lot. So Haskins will make his mistakes. But Terry McLaurin is a guy I know that pretty much everyone loves. Antonio Gibson has been moving up because he has some value as a pass catcher there. So I think that you're right. For Haskins, 
no one or very few people, I should say, are going to draft him and have him on their fantasy rosters. But I think having that confidence in him, having that continuity, I think will do good things long term for this Washington offense. And so maybe there's a reason there to sort of be hopeful. And I think, uh, I mean, I don't know how you feel, but do you have a, a maybe a better outlook for him in Dynasty? What, what's your, your, your thought process for him if you're talking about holding him long term in a fantasy situation? I actually think in a dynasty situation, like now might be the time to go out and try to acquire him because I don't think his value can really get any lower. Like what he did last year, who is feeling exciting about like he routinely was putting up single digit fantasy points as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Like that is bad. But to me, a lot of it is like what you said. I think they were just running out the clock on the season. They were looking ahead. Like they knew that Callahan wasn't going to be their long-term head coach, I don't think. But Ron Rivera brings a, a an offensive-friendly system in here and what we saw with uh, with his system out of Carolina. But I think Haskins right now, the value is never going to be lower. So just because of the upside that I think he has that he showed us in college, I think right now would be a buying opportunity. Yeah, I do think they're, the, the sky is, is bright. The future is bright for Dwayne Haskins. Over to Los Angeles. And this one is sort of near and dear to my heart because I make no bones about being kind of a Tyrod Taylor stan in, in a lot of respects. Uh, Anthony Lynn has said that Tyrod will be the starter in week one. Not really a surprise there. Again, you've got a rookie quarterback that hasn't had a lot of work because the offseason's been so weird. So Tyrod being the week one starter, not a surprise. There have been some reports from the beat reporters there around the Chargers that Tyrod could hold on to this job for most, if not all, of the season. How are you viewing Tyrod? I mean, look, I'm not saying he's going to be a QB1. I'm not that crazy about this whole thing. But how do you feel about Tyrod long-term, maybe as a second quarterback, maybe in a super flex league, now that we feel like Justin Herbert might not jump in immediately to take this job? I think Tyrod Taylor's role on a fantasy roster, whether it be in a one quarterback league or super flex, should be as your backup because I wouldn't want him as a starter knowing that he could lose that job. But I do think Tyrod Taylor is going to be one of these players that is greatly going to outlive his ADP for however long he is the starter. I know they said for as long as they could stay in the race. So a lot of it depends on him. Like, how well is he going to play? How well are the Chargers going to play and remain in the race? Because once they fall out of it, we know they're going to make the switch to Herbert. I think, though, because of the valuable points that he picks up with his legs, remember when he was a starter for three years with Buffalo? He was always one of those quarterbacks who was like a routine, like low-end QB1, high-end QB2, even though we'd watch him and be like, this guy is not one of the top 12, 15 quarterbacks in football. But in fantasy, he is because he can run so much. But so I think he his value alone will outlive his ADP. But my concerns with Tyrod Taylor as the starting quarterback is for the rest of the offense because we've kind of seen what a Tyrod Taylor and Anthony Lynn offense looks like because Anthony Lynn was Taylor's OC in 2016 in Buffalo, and they threw ran the ball 51. I'm sorry, they passed the ball 51 percent of their plays, the second fewest amount in the NFL that year. And in Tyrod's three years as a starter, he averaged. Uh, a passing play, 51% of their plays. So to me, this looks like a team that I think is going to be built similar to that Buffalo team where they're going to try to rely on their defense, try to rely on the run game, and let Ty not ask Tyrod to do too much. I think he'll he'll be a serviceable quarterback, but they're not going to ask him to suddenly start throwing the ball like he's Patrick Mahomes or something. Well, I, and I know we've talked about the Chargers pass catchers before on this show. With Tyrod kind of getting the nod, 
Have you moved any of those guys, Keenan Allen? I know Mike Williams is hurt, but Hunter Henry, have you moved any of those guys down your board, moved them up? Or are they staying kind of about where you thought they would be? So I've moved them. They're much lower this year than they've ever been with Phillip Rivers, but I haven't moved them with the news that Tyrod Taylor's the starting quarterback because I thought that was kind of the expectation all along. Like Tyrod's going to start, and however long they're in contention, he will be their starter until they fall out of it, and then we'll bring in the young kid and Justin Herbert. But for me, this is I, I think this is a bad move for the Chargers pass catchers, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, uh, Hunter Henry, because – like I said, in, in the years that Tyrod was a starter, they threw the ball 51% of the time. Last year, the Chargers threw the ball 63% of the time. They were in the top 10. So to me, that's a lot of pass attempts per game that you're going to be losing right there from the shifting quarterback. Uh, the one weapon on, on the Chargers I was feeling, outside of Austin Eckler, because I love Austin Eckler, but I was feeling good about Mike Williams because I thought his style of play fit Tyrod Taylor well because Taylor isn't a get-the-ball-out-of-your-hands-quick quarterback like Rivers. He'll you know, built some time with his, by some time with his legs, and he's not afraid to throw the ball downfield, which is what Mike Williams excels at. So when Williams is back healthy, I think that that you can get a little bit excited for him. But the rest at their ADP, I'm I'm kind of avoiding. So full disclosure, we had our NFL fantasy live draft on Wednesday night, and in my final few picks, uh, as some depth ads, I did draft Tyrod Taylor, Mike Williams, and Hunter Henry, because I do think that there's some opportunity, especially because I was. I will say I was kind of peeking at some of my bye weeks for my starters, and the Chargers have some pretty favorable matchups that line up with some of those bye weeks. So I feel like, hey, why not take the swing, especially at where the ADP is? Uh, if it hits, it's great. If not, then I'm not out a whole lot. So uh, I, I will say and part of this segment was make, to make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got Hunter Henry outside the top 10 tight ends, which is completely fine for me then. Like, but normally, I think you have to pay a top 10 tight end price for him. So if he falls out the top 10, I think he's a pure upside shot worth taking then. Yeah, and I, that was sort of my logic, is feeling where he landed, I felt pretty okay with it. So I was willing to take the chance. Otherwise, if I had to get him at what his normal ADP was, I probably would have been out on Hunter Henry. So there you go. It's time for Performance Ready, presented by Castrol Edge. So we we're talking about guys who should be ready for the season. Look, look at some guys who have been rising up the ADP boards as we get closer to the end of fantasy draft season and who could make a bigger impact than maybe we anticipated coming into this offseason. So let's start in Washington. We talked about Dwayne Haskins getting that starting job there and what this means for their offense. Antonio Gibson has been a favorite, I think, of the fantasy industry as we've gone throughout this summer. It started even before, I think, the Darius Geis release. It picked up steam with that, and it still is rising. So now I have seen him as high as round seven in a lot of fantasy drafts, which I liked it when I was drafting him in round 11 or 12 a whole lot better. In order for him to pay off this round seven ADP, Florio, what kind of numbers do you think he has to put up? I'm with you, Marcus. I liked him a lot more when he was going in rounds 11 or 12. In round seven, I like I went back last year and I looked at the top 40 running backs and none of them had less than 700 scrimmage yards. So I think that right there, he needs at least 700 total yards this year. Uh, and the two who had less of the top 40 there was only two who had less they both had 35 plus catches one was Tariq Cohen who had over 100 targets so but I think if you're drafting Gibson in the seventh round you don't want him to just be a top 40 running back right like you're expecting more so I looked in at the top 30 running backs and 
they the only one with less than 30, uh, less than 800 scrimmage yards was Tariq Cohen, who again, 100 targets, so he can make up for a lack of scrimmage yards. So I think for Antonio Gibson to hit uh, in the, as a seventh round ADP, you need at least 800 scrimmage yards. And I think you also would like to see him around 35, 40, maybe even a couple more catches than that. I, I know people like Gibson's talent. That's undeniable. And I know that they're excited because Ron Rivera has hyped him up saying we have a plan for him. We want to get him on the field. I've even heard they want to use him sort of like Christian McCaffrey, although I do think someone on Twitter went through and that seems to be Ron Rivera's favorite comp for a running back who catches passes that every <laughs> every running back who catches the football, he says we want to use like Christian McCaffrey. So maybe we should. Yeah, I mean, hey, I can't blame him at all. But maybe we should look a little bit deeper into that and not just run with it. I feel like when you're talking about round seven, you are talking about a guy that you would feel comfortable putting in your flex spot on a fairly regular basis. And I don't know that I'm there yet with Gibson, mostly because this is still going to be a bad Washington team. They're not going to go out there and I think score a ton of points week after week. They are still developing guys. There are still uh, roles to be determined in this offense. And so while I like what Gibson's potential is, I don't think he has enough of a set role yet to make me feel confident that I can roll with him each and every week. So if I'm if I'm taking him in the seventh round, I'm looking around at a lot of talented players that I'm potentially missing out on, a lot of running backs who should get solid workloads, a lot of wide receivers or even tight ends who should get decent target numbers. So the rise has made me a little bit hesitant. And that's why I think in the last couple of weeks, I think I've backed off drafting Gibson quite as much. So from there to Buffalo, you are a Bills fan. I love asking you Buffalo Bills related questions. Zach Moss has been a big hype bunny over the last couple of weeks. What do you see his role as and what do you see as the outcome this season for Zach Moss in Buffalo? I, I'm a big Zach Moss guy, especially when Devin Singletary was going like in round five and you were getting Zach Moss in like rounds nine sometimes. But their their ADP is definitely coming closer and closer together because a lot of people are uh, attracted to Zach Moss for fantasy. And I think the most realistic outcome for him is that he finishes as a high end RB3. But I think the upside is a lot higher. Uh, the role that I'm expecting him to play in is a little bit of a larger role than what Frank Gore had last year. Uh, I think he can compete with Devin Singletary for the groundwork. I think he is going to be the back that they use near the goal line. Like last year, the Bills just did not trust Devin Singletary near the goal line. In fact, he was third in touches inside the 10 and inside the five behind both Frank Gore, who was well ahead of all of them, and then Josh Allen too. So to me, that shows that they don't really want to use Devin Singletary there. Uh, and they really, like, Bill's GM, Brandon Bean, has really spoken up Zach Moss, his ability to catch passes in, as a receiver, his ability to, you know, just be an early down back, plus be that big goal line back. So I think it is very possible that he could come in and get a lot more work than we're expecting, which is why I like taking him as an RB3, because I kind of think that's his floor if he's the one seeing those big, valuable uh, touches near the goal line. But I think the upside is higher if he can legitimately eat into Devin Singletary's uh, carries because I do think Zach Moss is going to see a good amount of receptions uh, compared to Singletary as well. Yeah, and I think that's the part that really has gotten people excited in the last few days. Those reports that Moss is going to be working theoretically in the passing game a little bit more. I have to ask, 
what's the future for Devin Singletary there in Buffalo? It just seems like after last year, they talked him up a whole lot, but the opportunity hasn't matched quite the hype. And, and I just feel like maybe, maybe this isn't going to work out long-term with these two sides. My guess is the Bills, they did not feel comfortable with just Devin Singletary. I think they, they feel like he needs another piece there. And which is why part of me thinks that Zach Moss being the bigger back, they both were third round picks. Uh, Zach Moss, I think, comes with a little bit more production in college and a, a little bit more hype than Devin Singletary coming out. So I wouldn't be surprised if in time Zach Moss becomes the lead back here and Singletary is kind of the complementary piece. I do think, though, he will still have a role even if Moss starts to take over. Like, I don't think Singletary ever goes away, which does cap the upside of both of these players. But again, to me, that is just another reason to take Zach Moss because the ADP is less, so the risk is just less. Yeah, Devin Singletary to me has become one of those cautionary tales of overvaluing talent and maybe overlooking opportunity. The talent seems to be there. The opportunity doesn't seem to be there right now for him in Buffalo. Uh, over to Green Bay, A.J. Dillon kind of shook up the fantasy Twitter world when we saw pictures of him uh, in his workout gear with these ginormous thighs that look like he stole them from an elephant at a local zoo. So what does him being in Green Bay mean for Aaron Jones, who we already thought was a huge con uh, candidate for regression this year? Yeah, Aaron Jones last year scored 36% of his fantasy points off of touchdowns. That simply was not going to happen again. He had nearly 20 touchdowns. I mean, we just weren't going to see that. So I was already expecting, as everyone was, like some heavy touchdown regression there. But then they bring in Dylan, who is huge, like you said. And my biggest fear is that with Aaron Jones this year, he's going to have to split time in the red zone with Dylan and then in between the 20s with Jamal Williams. And I'm just fearful that this can become an absolute nightmare for fantasy. Like, you bring in Dylan, it wouldn't surprise me if they use him near the goal line to kind of prevent Jones from having to take those hits and they keep Jones fresh throughout the season and they get, you know, they get to use Dylan as well, who they just paid a, a premium draft capital for. And then also, let's not forget, though, like, Jamal Williams was still heavily involved, especially in the passing game last year. He was running over 14 routes per game, seeing 3.2 targets per game. And that may not sound like a lot, but Jones was only seeing 4.3. So Jones was averaging one target more per game than Jamal Williams. And for forever with these two backs, all we've heard about is Jamal Williams pass blocking and how much Green Bay loved it. I know it's a, uh, we've seen a different regime since these two have been brought in, but even last year, like Jamal Williams was used in that role. So I don't really have a, a lot of, uh, Aaron Jones, I haven't been drafting him a lot because you still got to pay that second round price. And for me, this can become an all out fantasy nightmare if they use all three of those running backs. I don't think I have drafted Aaron Jones on any fantasy roster. I, I was sort of relieved to see the ADP come down a little bit because I feel like in March and April, people were still drafting him in the first round. And I think that has sort of calmed down. But because of all the things you said, I mean, Jamal Williams still being heavily involved. Now A.J. Dillon reportedly getting involved. It has gotten me completely out on Aaron Jones this year. In fact, really, besides Devontae Adams, I don't know that there are any Packers that I'm really excited about this year. So I've generally kind of stayed away in a lot of respects. Uh, speaking of Devontae Adams, uh, his ADP has been pretty steady all offseason long. 
and a thing that I noticed, it feels like the wide receivers, for the most part, have remained relatively flat when it comes to their ADPs. The running backs have been all over the place. I mean, it feels like any piece of news sends a running back ADP, you know, either moving up or moving down in quite a big way. Why do you think that is? I think I am partially to blame for this. Uh, I, I <laughs> Myself and a lot of other fantasy football analysts have been banging the drum like, hey, the elite running backs, they go and they dry up fast. So, like, get them early on. And, like, over the last couple of months, it's become more and more common to see, like, 10 or 11 of the first 12 picks in the 12-team in the league be running backs. So, I think when you see, like, 13 of the first 15 picks in most drafts be running backs, and then you have Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams sprinkled in there. People see that, and they're like, oh, man, my RB2 is going to be bad. I need to I, I need to not miss out on these running backs because they're going so heavy off the board. And then there's also a lot of wide receivers that myself that I like and a lot of I, I know other fantasy analysts like in round four, five, six, in that range. So I think that – a lot of people feel like, all right, I can wait on receiver and still – I won't get, you know, a top 10 wide receiver, but I'll still get someone completely serviceable for my starting lineup. But running back, if I wait, I might be, you know, drafting like Kareem Hunt as my RB2, and I really like Kareem Hunt, but I like him more as an RB3 where you don't need to be starting him while Nick Chubb is there because we don't know exactly how that workload is going to get distributed. Like I wouldn't want like a Devin Singletary or really any of those like round five running backs as my RB2. So – I really am trying to get too early, and I think a lot of people feel that same way. And I think it's just because the running back position dries up a lot faster than receivers. So people are are really trying to get their running backs early now. Earlier this week, I had Denny Carter on the show, and he is obviously a huge advocate of the zero RB theory. And I know there are people that are still trying it. It just feels like this is a year that it's really hard to do because so many running backs are coming off the board early. And I think you're right. The fear is suddenly you're looking around and your running backs are Devin Singletary and Kareem Hunt, which is great if you have them as sort of depth backs, as flex options. Not so great if you feel like those are the guys you have to use on a regular basis week in and week out. That was Performance Ready by presented by Castrol Edge. It's time for Secure Starts presented by Visa. For peace of mind online, Visa's got you covered. So for peace of mind, we're looking at what I'm calling the solid seconds. These are wide receivers that aren't in that top tier that are maybe going in some of the middle rounds that you might feel confident with as your wide receiver to this year. So first off, when you get past those first three rounds of Florio and you know, the, the elite guys are gone and you're starting to look at maybe that second wide receiver, what sort of things are you looking for before you make a pick? I want volume and I want upside. And this year, that is my favorite tier. Like these second wide receivers, I often will start a draft with two or three running backs. So I am looking for, you know, guys who I think are going to be safe each week that I can have in my starting lineup that I know aren't just going to be complete boom or bust options. But I also am looking for players that I think can take that next step and potentially go off the board next year as a wide receiver one. And some names that I really like, like, uh, Robert Woods, you can get in the fourth round, and his teammate Cooper Cup too, but also like A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin. Uh, a little bit later, there's Marquise Brown, and then there's also like Tyler Lockett, D.K. Metcalf. There's so many wide receivers in that range that 
I, I don't like going zero y, uh, RB and taking two wide receivers early, primarily because then I'm taking running backs at this portion of the draft, and I love all, all of these wide receiver twos. I don't mind double dipping and getting two of them uh, into my lineup that I feel really good about because, again, they're going to have that safe volume each week, and they have the upside to take a next step in fantasy. You, you mentioned that, and I – Looked through and sort of looked at the running back ADPs. And after you get past maybe Chris Carson somewhere late in the third round, there's just a big group of running backs that I just don't feel great about going from anywhere from round, round four to maybe the end of round seven or middle of round eight. And it's not until I get to sort of that back part of the running backs that I start to feel better again about the upside guys. In the meantime, all those wide receivers you mentioned are guys that, you know, it is, it is like a shopping spree sort of in the middle of that. You're looking through and everything seems great and every option seems to really have some value to it. You mentioned Cooper Cup. And this is a guy you talk about volume. We know the volume has been there for him. We know the upside has been there because Jared Goff loves him and looks for him when he tends to get in trouble there. For some reason, he's fallen outside of the top 12 wide receivers. I'm thankful for the draft discount, but why do you think that is? I think a big part of it is like last year, the first eight weeks of the season, he was looking like a top five wide receiver. And then he kind of came back down to earth after that. But to me, the biggest thing, and I actually, I have Bobby Trees ahead of Cooper Cup in my PPR rankings this year. And the biggest thing is because last year when the Rams made their, their offensive switch from using the three wide receiver sets, using more of a two tight end set that we really saw Tyler Higby take off in, Cooper Cup, really struggled especially for volume like his routes he was running less routes per game than Tyler Higby he was only seeing six targets per game where Woods and Higby were over 11 he his receptions were below those guys his receiving yards was less than 60 per game in that in those final five weeks what really kept him fantasy relevant was that he scored five touchdowns in those five games and that is what I think you can rely on Cooper Cup for and that is why he's still a wide receiver two for me in my top 20 because when the Rams get near in the red zone and near the end zone, you know, that's who Jared Goff is going to throw the ball to. Cooper Cup and him just have that connection there. But I think the fact that we saw his numbers take such a big hit when the Rams switched to 12 personnel and we don't know if they're going to carry that over this year or not, I think that gives us a little cause for pause. And just to to go, you know, Marcus, a great friend of yours, Matt Harmon, does great work with reception perception. And he pointed out that Cooper Cup is one of the very best against zone coverage but really struggles against man-to-man. So that is another thing I think you have to worry about with Cooper Cup if defenses are going to attack him differently this season. I'm with you on Robert Woods having a, a big season. I, I love him. I was sort of frustrated and on Wednesday night when Adam Rank reached into the beginning of the third round and grabbed him before I could get to him. Uh, but I've had drafts where I've seen Cooper Cup on the board in the mid to late fourth round, and I will gladly take him there if he's going to fall that far because – Everything you said is correct, but I still love the upside. And, and if I can get him in the late fourth round, I'm going to take that all day long. In Jacksonville, DJ Chark seems to be the only really consistently drafted Jaguar offensive skill player there. What's his ceiling, you think, in 2020? I think he has wide receiver one upside. Like, I, I don't have him ranked as a wide receiver one, but... To me, he comes in this group, this tier, where all of these high-ceiling wide receiver twos that we know are going to get, say, volume, I think he is one of these candidates that can take that next step. And I think it's kind of just the perfect recipe. It's why I like Garner Minshew as much as I do. 
I think the Jaguars, they've lost a ton of pieces on defense. They're not going to be the team that they were a couple years ago. I expect them to be trailing late in games often, which usually leads to a lot of a lot more passing volume late in the game and a lot of garbage time points. And and I know we could say, oh, it's garbage time, but they matter for fantasy football. And we saw <laughs> last year that Garner Minshew clearly has a rapport with DJ Chark. And Jay Gruden has been brought in now. And Jay Gruden historically has been a pass-happy uh, coordinator. And Jay Gruden has also gotten the best fantasy seasons out of Kirk Cousins and Andy Dalton. So I think he could do that with Gardner Minshew. And I think DJ Chark is going to be clearly the number one target there. So I think he's a top 20 wide receiver who has the upside to take that next step. Hashtag garbage points still count. It is a thing <laughs> that I tweet repeatedly during the NFL season. Uh, we talked earlier in the show about the Chargers, and you talked about how you feel about their pass catchers. Keenan Allen loses Phillip Rivers. T.Y. Hilton gains Phillip Rivers. I, yeah, it's not often you see a veteran quarterback you know, making this sort of move and, and still having some sort of fantasy relevance. You, you talked about how you're not excited about what Tyrod Taylor means for the Chargers pass catchers. Does that mean you feel better about what Phillip Rivers means for the guys in Indianapolis? And are you feeling better about T.Y. Hilton than you are about Keenan Allen? I have those two back-to-back -back in my rankings. And to me, they all, they're all they all behind those that whole group of that tier of wide receivers we were just talking about, these high upside guys who could take that next step. For me, they're both behind them. And the true answer for me is usually pass. Like, I'll take Marquise Brown over both of those guys and <laughs> – I wish you could switch the quarterbacks on these two teams because Keenan Allen, I think, is a he's a great route runner, one of the best in the league. He relies on timing and precision with his quarterback. And maybe him and Tyrod Taylor will have that, but Tyrod has shown us that he's a quarterback that will hold on to the ball a little bit longer, throw the ball a little bit more downfield. And we have three seasons of Tyrod Taylor as a starter. His best wide receiver in any of those seasons was 2015 Sammy Watkins, who finished with 60 catches, uh, just under 1,050 yards, and nine touchdowns. And Keenan Allen routinely goes for well over 1,100 and over 100 receptions. So I think that naturally in the slower-paced offense and less pass-happy offense that his numbers are going to take a hit. And then when it comes with T.Y. Hilton, we love T.Y. because he's such a field stretcher. He's so dynamic. But last year, Phillip Rivers really struggled on the deep ball. And uh, in, in the four years that we have of next-gen stats, it was by far his worst completion percentage, fewest amount of touchdowns thrown, most interceptions thrown on passes of 20 or more air yards. So maybe that was just because their O-line was really bad and maybe he could rejuvenate himself with a much better O-line in Indianapolis. But he's struggling. Uh, an older quarterback on a new offense with this type of preseason who struggled on the deep ball last year, threw more interceptions than ever, really wasn't a good season for him. I don't want to tie like my wide receiver two to that guy. I have told myself a story where I can sort of believe in Keenan Allen. I mean, this, this goes back to me being uh, an unabashed Tyrod Stan. I have not been able to pin down what I feel about T.Y. Hilton this year. And maybe some of it is because of last year. There was so much uncertainty. Jacoby Brissett was... He was a, a, a seat filler. He was kind of a bridge quarterback to get them to the next spot uh, for 2020 and beyond. Uh, but because of that, I just have not been very confident really in any Colts pass catchers. If anything, you know, I've, I've gotten big on Jonathan Taylor. 
Uh, I've taken some some shots at Michael Pittman later in drafts, but I just have not been able to get a handle on what this Colts offense is going to be with Phillip Rivers. So uh, I always say that you know, we ask these questions. Sometimes the, the best answer is neither. And it seems like that's sort of where <laughs> you've landed right now. That, that really it is neither of these guys. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have either one of them on any of my teams so far. And I'm with you, Marcus. Jonathan Taylor is who I want here. And I was a little sad you sniped me in the Fantasy Live draft. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I got you a couple times. I got you on Taylor. And I think I got you on Did. Tyler Higby as well. <laughs> Both of those, I was sitting there like, with Taylor, I, was, I almost took him in round three. And then when he made it all the way back, and I was even before you were up, I was like, Marcus is the one that I'm most worried about taking him. <laughs> and then when it came to Igby, I was like, please don't do it. But I knew you didn't have a tight end. I was like, Marcus is gonna pull. Because it Higby just fell. I thought it was a good value. I was like, Marcus is gonna take him here. That one hurt a little bit. <laughs> I you know what? And normally I, I tended to stay away from Higby, but because he fell and because I needed a tight end, you know, I had you know, Mike Gasicki, I had Blake Jarwin in the queue, but Tyler Higby was sitting right there. I couldn't not do it. And when I saw you get upset in the chat, I knew I had done a good thing. So that made me feel better. Uh, that was Secure Starts presented by Visa. It's time for High Upside presented by Caesars Rewards. So we talk about high upside. Let's look at some late round running backs. These guys you're putting on your roster to maybe give you some depth and maybe if things break right, they get themselves into a bigger role. So Michael Florio. Michael F. Florio, what is it that you look for when you are drafting these sort of secondary, maybe depth add running backs? What what kind of uh, attributes are you looking into? I, I kind of sound like a broken record, I think, at this point. But for me, it's all upside. Like after the middle rounds, like that's what I want. I just want someone who has a, a pretty clear path to a starting role. Like I could see how this running back may get thrusted into the starting lineup. Like for one running back I like later is like Bryce Love, and I, I like him a lot because Antonio Gibson is still learning how to play running back at the NFL level. Adrian Peterson is awesome career-wise, but he's getting up there in age, and this is a rebuilding team that I think would want to see what they have in their young running back and may make that switch. So I want backs who I can see taking over the starting job, and if they do, uh, what is their upside? Like I really like the, like the elite backups and like Chase Edmonds, Tony Pollard, and that group of running backs because if anything happens to the starters, those guys can flirt with being RB1s, getting the, the lion's share of the, the workload there. But then you have teams like the Falcons. Like If anything happened to Todd Gurley, I have no idea who the next man up is. <laughs> maybe it's Edo Smith. Maybe it's Brian Hill. Maybe it's Allison. I don't know. So I avoid that. Like Daryl H- uh Henderson, though, on the Rams is someone that I have a good amount of shares of because I am a Cam Akers supporter, but you his ADP is in the double digits, and he has a chance of being the lead back to open up the season for the Rams. Like, yes, to me, that is an upside shot worth taking, and if those backs don't hit, then I'll just keep taking upside shots on the waiver wire and hoping something hits rather than stashing someone like Adrian Peterson who can give me a safe 9 or 10 points each week. Yeah, I think that's sort of the thing, and, and I know the the – analogy has been made that you don't win necessarily by hitting singles and doubles. You win by swinging for the fences and trying to get those home run shots. And I think that's what you're sort of getting at when you're talking about these young running backs that have upside. I know I've said repeatedly that I like Jordan Howard and I do think he's a safe option in the middle of drafts. But but if I'm looking late in drafts, I do want those younger guys. I mean, a guy that I was really big on, especially early in draft season, was a Darrington Evans who has an ability to be a pass catcher. I have seen comparisons to maybe being like Alvin Kamara light in terms of of his usage there in Tennessee. 
And if anything were to happen to Derrick Henry, Evans suddenly walks into a big opportunity there with the Titans. So I'm definitely with you on that. So speaking of that, there is a running back two battle going on in L.A. with the Chargers. Austin Eckler obviously has the starting job on lock. But there has been an interesting camp battle between Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly. How would you prefer to see this thing end up in L.A.? I would prefer to see Joshua Kelly win the job. I think Justin Jackson is best suited as that third running back in case anything ever happens to Austin Eckler. He could come in and be your pass catching back. Josh Kelly is huge. Uh, I don't know if you want him out there as your your pass catching specialist. He's 5'11", 212, so that's a big boy. I I think you can – my expectation for this backfield is I think it's going to operate a lot like the Saints – And I think Austin Eckler is going to play that Camaro role where he will dominate the passing work. I don't think people realize how much Melvin Gordon played a factor in the passing game last year, averaging nearly five targets per game and 15 routes per game. So I think Austin Eckler is going to just dominate passing down duties this year. And then I think they will split the groundwork. Like I, I do think Austin Eckler is going to see more groundwork than he did last year. But I also, I think Joshua Kelly could give you 150 carries this year as his team likes to well, I'm expecting them to like to run the ball a lot. My only fear with Josh Kelly is that he's huge. Like I said, I'm fearful because I like Eckler so much that Josh Kelly can come in and steal some of those valuable goal line touches away. But then I see Austin Eckler jumping over five pads, and I'm like, <laughs> I think he can jump over an offensive line just fine. Yeah, I will say I know that I feel like the Joshua Kelly hype has been slow to build, and, and it's understandable, one, because – UCLA was not getting a lot of national television exposure. They have not been a very good program uh, over the last few years. And I'm, I'm not saying that just because I am a USC alum. I mean, it's, it has been a fact. So because of that, Kelly's exposure has not been as great, I think, to the rest of the country uh, as a lot of people would expect. But this is a really good running back who's going to have a really good opportunity. I will say that if there's anything that gives me confidence about this situation, it's that I feel like Anthony Lynn has a pretty – hard line of demarcation, right? I mean, he has pretty defined roles within his backfield. So whoever it is that gets that RB2 job, I don't think we'll have to worry about sort of a a muddled situation behind Eckler. There's going to be, I think, a clear number two. So whoever it is that gets that job, I think you can draft that player with a fair level of confidence that, that he is going to get a decent workload there in LA. Uh, a situation that may not be so clear is in New England, where... I won't say Bellatrix are back because I don't think that's accurate, but we've got a battle brewing between Sony Michelle and Damian Harris. Now, I know Harris is dealing with a hand injury, so he may miss the season opener, but I don't think this battle is going to just completely go away. What do you see as being the outcome of, of Michelle versus Harris there with the Patriots? This is a murky situation because there's these two, and then there's still Lamar Miller, Rex Burkhead, and James White. So, my approach when attacking this backfield, though, has been to take the the unknown in Damian Harris, right? Like, I do think that he has higher upside than Sony Michelle. Uh, he has been the running back that I have been targeting here, but his ADP is starting to climb. See him go in like 12th, 11th round in some drafts while Sony Michelle is falling. The reason I'm so low on Sony Michelle is he is not who he was in Georgia. At least we haven't seen that same back in the NFL. We know he has some knee issues. That's why. That was the concern with him coming out of college, and it's translated into the NFL level. He hasn't had the same burst. They've never really used him as a pass catcher. 
So that limits his ceiling right there. And what he was so useful for in years past was those short yards touchdowns. Last year, he had 12 carries inside the five-yard line, scored five touchdowns there. Well, now they have Cam Newton, who for years with the Raven, uh, with the Panthers, was just vulturing touchdowns when they would get near the goal line. So I have legit concerns that if Cam Newton even takes away two, three of those touchdowns, what is uh, Sony Michelle's season going to look like? Because last year, he had one touchdown from, fur- from further out than five yards, and he's three in his career. So... To me, the upside on him is severely capped. But I will say, I was in a draft the other night, and he fell to the 15th round of a 12-team draft. And I drafted him because at some point, everyone does have a price. Yeah, I think that's the point. I mean, at, at the right spot, everybody is, is going to be worthwhile. And conversely, I mean, I've seen Damian Harris kind of bump up into the ninth round in some situations. And I feel like that's a situation similar to what we talked about with Antonio Gibson, where if I'm drafting Damian Harris in the ninth round, I want to feel more confident about what his role and what his usage is going to be there. And as you mentioned, it is completely murky. I think we'll all sort of you know, stake our claim somewhere. And in the end, we'll have Rex in the flex when Burkhead is scoring touchdowns <laughs> out of nowhere. Uh, as you mentioned, Cam Newton is there who's going to take some opportunities. So I, I like Damian Harris. I-, I would prefer to get him in the double-digit rounds, not in the ninth, because there's just no real clarity on how this backfield is going to work in New England. Now, In Jacksonville, we talked about Leonard Fournette, his departure there, and what he could potentially be in Tampa Bay, but there is still the matter of the Jaguars' backfield. There are a handful of names there that are sort of battling for opportunities. What do you think happens with the Jaguars' running backs this year, and and are there any that you are interested in drafting? This is where, like, if someone asked me on Twitter, I'd put, like, the shrug emoji because... (laughs) <laughs> we, we don't really know anything about this backfield or these three backs, right? Like, we can make our best guesses, but we have nothing to work off of of what a backfield with Raquel Armstead, Divine Azgipo, and James Robinson looks like. But all three of them, similar size-wise, like, they're all between 5'9 and 5'11, and all between 219 and 222 pounds, at least as their listed size. So... I then looked at who is the most athletic of the bunch, and by far, Raquel Armstead ran the fastest 40 at 4.45, where the other two were both over 4.6. So, uh, and Armstead was at least used last year, was the backup for Leonard Fournette. So he is still the one that I would stake my claim in, but he is going, and I've seen him going like round 11 in drafts this week since they've cut Fournette, but uh, um, but Divine Osgipo, I- I've seen him go, I got him the other day in round 16. So... I think right there, if he's going after round 15 to like 16 in that range, it's okay to take your shot there. But the correct answer might be Chris Thompson, who I think is going to be the pass catching specialist there. Last year, and just in the in the five games that Jay Gruden was with Washington, Thompson was averaging seven targets per game, and Thompson has long been a favorite for Gruden, right? Like he has 35 or more catches in each of the last five seasons, and 54 or more targets in the last four. And he does not regularly play like 16 games. So that's like 54 targets in like 11 games. So you could see there why I think he is going to be a factor in the passing game. Make this a murky situation. Like if he's on the third down two-minute drills and then you have these other guys splitting the early down reps, it, it could just become a situation to completely avoid. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you know, Thompson's upside is that the Jags will probably be playing from behind a lot, so there are going to be opportunities for him to catch the football there. Health has always been an issue for him throughout his career, so that's something to keep an eye on. I know the the hipsters out there and the the Debbie League folks out there have been hitting me up about James Robinson, and and maybe one day his time comes. I struggle to feel like I can really trust an undrafted free agent rookie running back in the course of a pandemic with a weird offseason in the context of a bad offense. There are just too many negatives there for me to get excited about James Robinson. Maybe if you are, you know, if you've got a DeLorean uh, and, and 1.21 gigawatts of energy and you can go into the future and tell me something about it, then I'll feel a lot better. But right now, uh, I just I just sort of have to back off James Robinson. And again, we come back to sometimes the answer is nobody at all. And that might be the case with the Jaguars backfield in 2020. That was High Upside presented by Caesars Rewards. Draft a team with NFL fantasy this season and you can win a trip to take your league to Caesars Palace Las Vegas for the fantasy playoffs. Download the NFL Fantasy app, draft the team, and select the trip to Caesars Palace from among the three grand prizes you can win. So you've gone through your whole draft, you make your final pick, it's usually a kicker or a defense, and I know the tendency a lot of times is to you know, shut down the computer, put down the phone, and then go get yourself a sandwich, but that end of draft can be very important. So we'll give you some tips on how to handle that, maybe to finish strong like you start strong in a lot of your drafts. So. Uh, Florio, when you get to those final skill position picks, when I say end of draft picks, I'm talking about those last skill position picks because generally you know, the thing is your, your last two picks are kicker and defense. So when you're looking at that last skill position player, um, I, I know this, this may sound repetitive, but what are you looking for? No surprise. I'm looking for upside, right? Because at that late in the draft, you're probably going to end up cutting that player unless they hit and become someone that is valuable to your fantasy starting fantasy lineup. So I'm going to take players who has really high ceilings. Like I'll take a shot on someone like John Ross late in drafts. And in, in our NFL uh, fantasy live draft last night, Marcus, I looked at my team and my starting tight end was Mike Gusecki. I thought I was a little bit weak there. I wanted a, a nice backup option. So I used my last skill position pick on Chris Herndon, who I think has a lot of upside at the tight end position. So that's really how I address it. I'll look at my roster, think if I'm weak at running back or, or receiver, like I'll target a position that I think I need a little bit more depth at, and I will take the player that I think has the best shot, the most realistic chance of hitting on their upside at that price. So I was going through ADP lists and looking at guys that are sort of at the bottom that maybe are going undrafted in a lot of leagues. And there were two names that caught my eye that I'm surprised haven't moved up simply because I feel like a lot of fantasy analysts are talking about them, but I don't think the drafting world has caught on. Brian Edwards and Paris Campbell, both are guys that are certainly getting a lot of hype in fantasy circles. Why do you think they haven't caught on as you know late picks in a lot of different drafts? I don't know because I like both of these guys. Like These are there with my last skill pick. I will take a flyer on either one. I do like Brian Edwards a little bit more. And I think you can under, for me at least, it's easier to understand why the hype for Campbell hasn't caught on. Like last week he was involved in a car accident, was placed in the concussion protocol, missed some practice. So I, I understand why people were like, all right, I don't like, I have to get this guy on my roster late in drafts. But there's also other pieces there to get excited for. Like, uh, like there's Jack Doyle, who I like, and, and there's Michael Pittman and, and other pieces there. With Brian Edwards, I mean, we just saw Terrell Williams go on the IR and – 
Edwards has been hyped up as a starting receiver basically since they drafted him. And I know he isn't like a sexy, like big play down the field type of weapon, but he can be a move the chains possession type receiver for this team. And his quarterback is Derek Carr, who isn't going to be heaving the ball downfield. He is going to be throwing close to the chains, looking to kind of dink and dunk his way down the field. So I think Edwards and PPR can greatly outlive his ADP. So just like in the NFL draft, once the NFL draft is over, we know there are a ton of undrafted free agents. Teams immediately get on the phone, start calling guys, signing guys, trying to bring them into camp. Similarly in fantasy, once your draft is over, the waiver wire is open. You can go and you can pick guys up. You can make moves right away. For you, how active are you on the waiver wire after your fantasy draft? Maybe this is just because I'm in a whole lot of leagues, but I'm not super active after the draft and before week one, unless, you know, I drafted a couple weeks ago or months ago because things change in the NFL very quickly. Like you could have drafted last week and now all of a sudden all of these Jaguars running backs are on your waiver wire. So I think there is an opportunity where you should definitely check your waiver wire and try to grab one of those players. But I have a lot of drafts this weekend, like I said earlier, and if I draft on Sunday night, I don't think I'm going to be like going through the waiver wire trying to See, unless, you know, an injury happens or, or news happens that changes the value of a player, the only exception is if you're in a league where you don't have to draft a kicker in a defense and you took a flyer on some upside guys, well, then you need to be active on the waiver wire trying to get your defense and your kicker. Yeah, uh, you talk about news that breaks in the middle of drafts. I don't know how many people I have had tweet at me who said, they had just drafted Ronald Jones when the Leonard Fournette news broke <laughs> and we're left scrambling trying to figure out what to do. Uh, so you mentioned, how many drafts do you have this weekend? I have, I think I have like three or four in the next three or four days. And I have my two, my favorite leagues with like, you know, my college friends and stuff, my high school buddies there Saturday night and Sunday night. So to me, that's kind of like the fun end of draft season, uh, start getting ready for week one, but I'm, I'm a little bit all drafted out. And by the end of this weekend, I will be all drafted out. <laughs> yeah, I really feel like that's sort of the case. I know I've got a couple more this weekend, but I, I will be ready for draft season to be over and for fantasy football season to begin. But we know there are a lot of you out there that are still drafting fantasy football teams. And to do that, be sure to download the all-new NFL Fantasy app. It is free. It is fun. Get your friends together. Get your own league going. Because like I said at the start of the show, we are one week away from kickoff of the 2020 NFL season. Meanwhile, for us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging with the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by Caesars Rewards. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, the road to success is dotted with many tempty parking spaces. Be careful out there. Take care of yourselves and each other. Wear a mask, and we will see you on Monday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. 
So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.